The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. So I've read that there is a very effective but also gruesome method that Eskimos in Alaska will use to hunt wolves. What they will do is they will take a knife and they will coat it with animal blood and then they will allow that blood to freeze to the blade. And then they will repeat that process over and over again, continuously coating the blood onto the knife and allowing it to freeze until it actually has completely covered the blade and you don't really recognize that it's a knife anymore. And then what they will do is they will take that knife and they will place it out in the wilderness somewhere, point up, and they'll leave it there. And what happens is the wolf will come along and it will smell the blood and it will come and it will lick the blood. And it will like the taste of the blood so much that it will continue licking. And it will keep licking until the blood has actually been all licked away and the blade has been exposed. And when this happens, the wolf will get this sensation that absolutely delights him. He will taste warm blood. And that warm blood will excite him so much that it will put him into a frenzy and he will keep licking until actually the wolf will die because of blood loss. You see, the wolf will not stop until it has bled to death because it is so consumed by its desire for blood that it will ignore any sensation of pain. And that, although it is brutal and it is gruesome, is a picture of our sin. That's how our sin works. We love the way that our sin tastes. We become so caught up in it that we don't realize that there is actually a blade underneath this and it's killing us. You know, there is a a church, uh, a larger church that I know of, who did an anonymous congregational survey. And as they did this survey throughout their congregation, one of the questions that they asked in the survey was, check this box if you are currently struggling with a secret sin that you have not shared with anyone. And 10% of that church checked the box. And the truth of the matter is, probably more than that could have checked the box. And the scary thing is that I am fairly certain that our church is no different. If we were to send that survey out amongst Jacob's well. Because sin is alluring. It's captivating. It tastes good. It binds us. And eventually, it kills us. So what are we as Christians? What are we as a church? What are we as individuals supposed to do with that? What are we going to do when we are faced with this deadly snare? Well, today... We're going to be answering that question. We're going to be continuing where Pastor Dan left off last week in John 8. We're going to be looking at John 8, verses 31 through 59. And if you recall last week, Jesus was at the Feast of Booths, and he was before the crowd, and he had been teaching, and he had just told them that I am the light of the world. And he said that if anyone follows him, they would not walk in darkness. And at the end of the message last week, we saw that some people believed in what Jesus was saying, but what we're going to see today is that belief was actually superficial. 
the people, the Jews who he was speaking to, were still enslaved to their sin. So as I read this passage, if you would open your Bibles to John 8, as I read this passage, ask yourself the question, how can I find freedom from my sin? Where is that freedom found? John 8, verses 31 through 59. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, You do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason you don't believe me is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. What do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, 
you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for bringing us here this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the message that you have given us. Lord, I ask that you give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that listen, that you would reveal to us the sins in our lives and the solution, the path, the way that you have given us to escape the enslavement that sin puts us in and to grab a hold of and embrace the freedom that you offer. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning of this passage, Jesus turns to those who had professed faith, and he presents them with this if-then statement. If you look in verse 31 and 32, he says, If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Then you will be set free. Now, in response to this, the Jews instantly become defensive. They claim, hey, we're not enslaved to anybody. We're the offspring of Abraham. And Jesus tells them in verse 34, truly, truly, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So what we have going on here is this debate. It's a debate between Jesus and the Jews over the question, what is freedom? What is freedom? How do we get freedom and how do we know if we're free? The Jews say, we're not enslaved. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you are. A lot of people out there believe that freedom is having the ability to do whatever it is you want to do. Freedom is having equal opportunity to either go to the left or go to the right. But unfortunately, freedom is not that simple. Let me ask you a question about freedom. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? If somebody came to you and said, what do you want, would you even know? You see, one of the problems with freedom, one of the complications with freedom, is that often it seems like there's more than one voice inside of us. How many of you would say, I would like to eat more healthy, and I would like to exercise a little bit more? But at the same time, you would also say, you know, I really enjoy eating unhealthy food, and I really enjoy relaxing on the couch. Even if you had the freedom, the equal opportunity to choose one or the other, to choose the treadmill or the couch, whichever one you decide, part of you is going to be disappointed. Part of you is going to be frustrated that you didn't get what you want. So how do we understand freedom? Is there such a thing as real freedom? Or are we just redefining boundaries? See, real freedom is not the absence of boundaries. Real freedom is not the absence of boundaries. Instead, it's the presence of the right boundaries. Real freedom isn't the absence of boundaries. It's the presence of the right boundaries. In other words, it's the boundaries that line up with the truth. Jesus tells his disciples, he tells the people that he's speaking to in this verse, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Now, our country, the United States, loves freedom. We love the concept of freedom. We're the land of the free and the home of the brave. But at the same time, we live in a culture that rejects truth. They reject the, the, the notion of absolute truth. Our culture says truth is in the eye of the beholder. But there's a problem with that. If there is no truth, if truth for you is what's truth for you and truth for me is what's truth for me, then we don't know what the right boundaries are. You see, it, it destroys freedom. If there is no truth, then no one is free or everyone is free. Freedom becomes something that doesn't exist if we don't understand where the correct boundaries are. There's no freedom. I know some of you fish, and it's, it's amazing to me when you take a fish out of the water, it begins to just flop around, and it's just panicking because it's dying, and then you drop it into the boat, and it's going to be flopping around in the boat, and it's struggling to survive, and it's just a very unnatural act for this fish. But then you take that same fish, and you pick it up, and you put it back in the water, and as soon as you let it go, boom, it'll shoot off like a torpedo. It is obvious that the fish was made for the water. That's what it was designed for. That's what it was created for. It's in the water that the fish is truly free. That's what the fish needs. And it's only when the fish is in the place that it was created for that it can be free. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how were we created? What were we created for? If we're going to understand how to be free, we have to understand that truth. Were we created for sin? Were we created for the secret areas in your life that you're afraid one day might be exposed? Or were we created for something else? Jesus calls us in verse 31 to abide in his word. He says, abide in my word. What does that mean? How do we abide in the word? Well, the first thing we need to know if we're going to understand that is, what is the word? Jesus, when he says this, is not talking about everything that he had previously just said to the Jews. He doesn't say, you must abide in my words. He says, you must abide in my word, singular. One way to summarize what Jesus means when he says word is to say his message or the mission you see, Jesus is saying you must abide in the overarching message or mission of the entire Bible. You have to abide in the message or the mission that has inspired the word of God. The message or the mission that has caused God to act and to move. The message or the mission that is summarized in the good news of the Bible. We call that the gospel. To fully understand the word of God, this overarching thing. We have to go back to the very beginning of the story, to creation itself, where we were created by God. And what were we created for? We were created by him, for him. You see, we, like the fish, have a design. We have a purpose. We were created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our purpose is to be fully loved by God and to fully love him back. And we are told by Jesus that it's only when we abide or remain or dwell in that truth, when that's the truth of our life, when those are the boundaries of our life, when that is the design, then we are free. 
So the question is, are you free? Or is there something else? Is there something else out there that is binding you? When you hear Jesus say that we are to abide in the word, do you rejoice or do you become defensive? If we're going to be truly free, we first have to accept. We have to accept that we were created for God, that we were created by God, and that we were created to glorify him and enjoy him, to be loved by him and to love him. We were created for that. We were not created for a bloody knife that leads to death. And as Jesus explains this to the Jews, they argue with him. And they go back and forth, arguing about what Jesus is saying. And this argument continues on until verse 51. And in verse 51, Jesus brings out another strong if-then statement. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, then he will never see death. Now, Jesus states this in the negative, and if you'll allow me, I'd like to flip it to the positive. Jesus is saying, if anyone keeps my word, he will see life. If anyone keeps my word, he will see life. Now, the word keep, it means to stand firm in a thing or to guard. Jesus is saying, if anyone stands firm in my word, in this message, in this mission, the overarching theme of the Bible, the reason that he was sent. If you stand firm in that thing, then you will see life. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is that those who stand firm in the gospel, they are not going to suffer the curse of sin, which is death. So to recap, Jesus says to them, first off, you need to abide in my word. You have to dwell in my word, in the truth. We have to encamp ourselves within the correct boundaries, the ones that we were created for. And then we need to keep, we need to stand firm in that word. You see, the message, the mission of the Bible, the scriptures, is more than just creation. The Bible tells us that although we were created to love God and be loved by him, that we have rejected that, that we have rejected that truth. We have sinned, and the punishment for that sin is death. But God promised, he promised that he was going to send a Messiah, a Savior, his son. And that by his son's obedience, because his son kept the word, verse 55. Because of that, by his death, the son might set us free, verse 36, for anyone who believes. And it was because of that promise that Abraham, he rejoices in verse 56. And Jesus says, if you keep If you stand in this word, you're never going to die. You will live. You're going to live in the long run, and you're going to live right now. You see, when you recognize that, as one pastor says, you are more sinful than you could possibly imagine, but at the same time, you are more loved than you ever dared hope. When you know that, then there is nothing that can touch you. Nothing can stop you. And for that reason, we have to stand in that truth. We have to guard that truth. It's kind of like when you have a, a, a cup of water in a tea bag. And when you're making tea, I mean, you could do it a few different ways. You could take that tea bag, and you could drop it in the water real quick and pull it out, and you would have tea. It would be very weak. It wouldn't be very good tasting tea. Or you could take that tea bag, and you could put it into the water, and you could let it 
bob up and down and kind of float on the top for a minute or two, and then your tea would be a little bit stronger. Or you could take that tea bag and you could take your spoon and you could plunge that tea bag into the water and you could allow the water to absolutely seep into that tea bag so that every molecule in that cup is completely saturated with the tea. And that's what we need to do with the word. That's what we need to do with this truth. We have to allow it to penetrate every single solitary molecule of our lives. We need to abide in it, to dwell in this word. We need to keep, we need to guard, we need to stand firm upon this word. Because when you do that, it will change you. Because when anxiety and self-doubt, when those things step in to stop you in your tracks, the word says that you are perfectly loved. It says that you are loved by a God who created you. He created you, and he loves you for you. When those sinful desires begin to creep in, and all of a sudden you just you want what you shouldn't have because you desire to feel accepted, you desire to feel loved or valuable, the word comes and says, guess what? You are already accepted, and you are so valuable that it was worth it for Jesus to come and die for you. We have to allow these truths to penetrate every single molecule of our lives. And when we do that, we're going to be able to truly live, to live like we were designed because of what Jesus has done, what he did on the cross. Now, there's a lot of text in this passage in between these two if-then statements. There's all of these verses that I haven't spoken on much, and what we have going on here is a debate It's a debate between Jesus and the Jews, and it's centered around one question. Who is Jesus? Who is this man making these outrageous claims that he is offering freedom and he is offering life? Who is this guy? And the Jews in verse 41, they say, you know what? We have the legitimate claim to God. God is our father. But Jesus disagrees with them. He says, if you were truly children of God, in verse 42, then you would love me. If you were really children of God, you would love me. But instead, they want to kill him. Jesus says that, you know what, your behavior, it reflects something, but it's not God. Your behavior reflects the actions of your true father. He says, that's the devil. That's Satan. Because in verse 44, the devil, at his very heart, he is a liar. He rejects the truth, and he is a murderer. He desires to kill. As you can imagine, Jews are not very pleased with being told they are children of the devil. And so they continue to to get more and more upset. And Jesus continues to pour on the challenges. In verse 46, he says, which of you convicts me of sin? Now, there's a strong statement. Who here would have the guts, the audacity to say, who here convicts me of sin? That's inviting people to step into your life, to analyze your life, to look at your life and say, has this person ever committed a single sin? What kind of person says that? The only type of person that says that is the one who can back it up. And that's what Jesus can do. He can back that up. He lived a sinless life. And we can see that by the way that the Jews responded to him. 
They ignore it. They keep on going. They just hurl empty insults at Jesus. They say, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus brushes those off. He brushes off those jabs. And he tells them, you know what? I don't, I don't need you to glorify me because someone else glorifies me. It's God the Father who gives me glory. We see that in verse 54. It's God who glorifies Jesus. It's God who will reveal who Jesus really is. And as the conversation between the Jews and Jesus continues to escalate, Jesus turns to them and he makes a statement. In verse 58, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if there was any uncertainty as to who Jesus was claiming to be, what Jesus was claiming to be, that uncertainty was gone. In that moment, Jesus made it very clear what he was saying. You see, he didn't say before Abraham, a man that had lived many, many years ago, before Abraham, he didn't say before Abraham, I was. He said before Abraham, I am. Before Abraham even existed, I am. I was and continue to be and will forever be. Jesus was saying that I am in a state of continuous existence. I am. And with this one phrase, Jesus was claiming to be God. He was claiming the name of God and he was claiming the very nature of God. And the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was saying because they picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. Now this claim of Jesus Christ, it would be backed up. One day when Jesus was glorified by his father, everyone would see and they would recognize that in fact, he was who he said he was. He was the son of God and it was on the cross when Jesus was glorified. When he was killed on the cross, he was proven to be the Son of God. So the question that we have for ourselves is, what do you say? Who do you think that Jesus was? Was he truly God? And if that's the case, if he truly was God, then you know what? We need to listen to him. We need to recognize that there is a truth, and that truth leads to freedom. And we need to know that that truth is only found in his word. We need to acknowledge that that is the only place where life is found, and that we need to keep that word, that we have to constantly come back to his word. We have to constantly come back to this message that we are loved, and it is because of the cross that we are loved. We have to abide in and keep his word. So how do you know if you're doing that? How do you know if that is true for you? Jesus told us in verse 42, he said, you love me, you love Jesus It's one thing for us to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But when that truth, when that becomes a reality in your heart, it's not just, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but it's, I love him too. You respond. You love Jesus back. There is an African tribe that there was these missionaries that were going to this tribe. And as they went to this tribe, they were translating the language and trying to understand how can we put, you know, the gospel, the message, the word of God into their language. And as they learned about their language, they recognized that verbs would end in 
three different vowels, an I, an A, or a U. And depending on which vowel it ended in, it changed the nature of the word. But the interesting thing was that the word love only ended in two of the vowels, the I and the A. And so they would bring the tribal leaders together and they asked them, okay, explain to us, can you, Devi, can you love your wife with an I? And they said, yeah, of course. That kind of love is the sort of love that it was there, but now it's gone. You used to love them, but, but not anymore. They said, oh, okay. Well, how about the A, Deva? Can you love your wife like that? And they said, absolutely. They said, that kind of love is dependent upon their actions. If they've been a good wife, if they've done their job well, then you love them. They said, oh, okay. Well, how about, how about the third one? Why isn't that one there? Can you devu your wife? And the tribal leaders laughed. They said, no, that's not possible. That would mean that no matter what your wife did, if she didn't make you food or didn't bring you water, even if she committed adultery, you would still have to love her. That's not possible. And the missionaries thought for a second. And they looked at them and they said, Can God, Devu, love you? And the tribal leaders paused. And they began to cry. And they said, if that was possible, that would mean that even though we had messed up, even though we are full of sin, had done everything wrong against God, that he would still love us. That would mean he would love us no matter what. And that was a kind of love that they couldn't comprehend, but they so dearly wanted. That is the kind of love that Jesus Christ offers us. That is the kind of love that allows us to let go of the bloody knife that is ensnaring our lives and to live freely the way we were created to be. Let's pray. Lord, God, so often uh, we turn against you and we do not follow your ways. But we know that because of the cross, because of your love, because of your mission, because you followed through with your word, Lord, that we can have access to you, that we have forgiveness, and that we are loved more than we could possibly imagine. And in that, we can find freedom. Lord, I ask that you would make that true in every single one of our lives. And that out of that, in response to that, that we would love you back. And that we would have a relationship with you that completely, totally, radically changes our lives so that we can truly live the way you made us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.